Betches Media presents... I would like to speak to America's men for one minute. That slacker barista. I start getting full of emotion. Now we're going to build this new bridge here. Can I provide a definition? Mm-hmm. No, I can't. Betches Up Podcast. Like, how are people surviving? Hello, I'm Elise Morales. I'm Millie Tamares. And this is the Betcha Sup podcast where C-SPAN meets the group chat to help you process and laugh at the biggest topics in U.S. news and politics. We actually have a really, really fun interview scheduled today with a dear friend of ours, Zach Zimmerman, about his forthcoming book. But before we get into that, we do want to address what occurred in Nashville earlier this week um, after we were done recording on Monday. A heavily armed 28-year-old assailant carried out a mass shooting at the Covenant School in Nashville, Tennessee, killing six people, three of whom were children. The private Christian school taught kids kindergarten through sixth grade, and the victims were Evelyn Decaus, Haley Scruggs, and William Kenny. All of them were nine years old, as well as 61-year-old Cynthia Peak, 60-year-old Catherine Kuntz, and 61-year-old Mike Hill. The shooter, who was a former student of the school, was also killed in a standoff with the police approximately 14 minutes after the attack began. Police have said they found manifestos in a search of the assailant's home, as well as possible plans for attacks at other locations around Nashville, including a local mall. They were armed with two AR-15-style weapons, as well as a handgun, and all of which police believe were obtained legally and locally. A search of their home revealed they had legally purchased seven firearms from five stores and had hidden them from their parents who they lived with. The shooter's parents didn't want them to own guns. It was initially reported that the shooter was a trans woman named Audrey Hale. A LinkedIn profile revealed Hale used he, him pronouns. Regardless of their gender, Marjorie Taylor Greene and other Republicans have been taking the opportunity to spread anti-trans hate. Kevin McCarthy refused to answer questions about the shooting, telling reporters, I have to go to work right now. John Thune, the second-ranking Republican in the Senate, said it's premature to talk about gun control. And the Tennessee rep Tim Burchett says his family avoids worrying about school shootings by homeschooling his daughter. At least he's honest. This is crazy. I know. It's horrible. It's horrible that this is being used to fuel anti-trans hate even though, like, a million prior shooters being white Christian guys doesn't fuel hate against white Christian guys. We actually do touch on the subject of school shootings in our interview with Zach that's coming up, and we have a little bit more of a greater discussion about where we're at with this issue there. So we just wanted to make sure that we addressed this up top since Mm -hmm. we weren't able to talk about it on the Monday show. Mm -hmm. And we wanted to do it without our guest because Zach is really wonderful and he's a great interview that we've been scheduled to have for a long time. Yeah. We wanted to address this and also to any listeners who are teachers, we constantly talk about how society doesn't value you and what you must be going through is incredibly difficult. And just know that we care and we're concerned and your job is super important. And in many places you can't even pick your books, but you're in charge of protecting the lives of many special children. So I just wanted to also address that too. Yeah. Our hearts go out to you. Our hearts go out to obviously the people directly affected by this. I know so many of my friends are parents who every Mm. single time this happens Their hearts are broken over and over again. And so, yeah, we just wanted to come on up top, acknowledge that this has happened, just send our love to everyone and anyone who is affected. And with that in mind, please enjoy what I think is a very funny and fun interview with our dear friend, comedian Zach Zimmerman. We all know your hair and skin can sway your mood and impact your day in ways you can't underestimate. Sometimes what starts as a bad hair day quickly turns into a bad everything else day. I'd never found beauty products that really understood my needs, but ever since I switched to custom hair and skin routine with pros, I've noticed so many benefits. Healthier hair and skin, yes, but beyond that too. Since I started using pros, I've noticed consistently healthy hair. Even with all I put it through with the heat tools and the hairsprays to get this pompadour sky high, it smells great, it looks fancy on the shelf, and I like that it has my name right on it. This formula is made for V. Pros is made for people, not hair and skin types. Personalization is rooted in everything they do, from their in-depth consultation to their made-to-order model. From millions of possible formulas, 
only one is uniquely yours or mine. And Pros isn't just better for you. It's better for the planet. They're a certified B Corp, cruelty-free, and the first and only carbon-neutral custom beauty brand. They even have a review and refine tool, which learns from my feedback and adjusts my formula to keep up with the seasons and changes in my life. Pros is so confident that you'll bring out your best hair and skin that they're offering an exclusive trial offer of 50% off your first subscription at pros.com slash feverdream. So get your free consultation, then 50% off at pros.com slash feverdream. That's P-R-O-S-E dot com slash feverdream. Today, we are here with Zach Zimmerman. He's a comedian and writer whose new book, Is It Hot in Here or Am I Just Suffering for All Eternity for the Sins I've Committed on Earth, comes out on April 18th. Pre-order it now. The book is a laugh-and-cry-out-loud memoir-esque exploration of selfhood in which Zimmerman dives into the pros and cons of retiring a Bible Belt-dwelling, meat-eating, God-fearing identity in exchange for a new metropolitan lease on life, one of vegetarianism, atheism, queerness, and humor. Millie and I both got advanced copies of the books. I know I just tore through mine. Zach's a good old friend of both of ours. So without further ado, Zach, welcome to the show. Oh, my God. Thank you so much for having me. Dream come true. Dream come true. We're yes. excited. We love Zach. We're big Zach fans. We're so happy to have him here. Oh, that's Zach's so not that funny, though. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, more in the written word. It's live. No, no, no. no. no in no, the no. moment. No, no, no. <laughs> Zach, that is a joke because Zach is a very well-decorated comedian uh, and is constantly performing live, and he's super impressive to see live, and it was so cool to read your book. How are you doing? Oh, I'm good. Gearing up for, you know, the book promo gauntlet. It very much feels like giving a sort of, of birth, not to totally <laughs> steal like like womb-based imagery, but it does feel like it's going to happen whether you're ready for it to happen or not. Yeah, well, how long? Yeah. Uh, well, how long is the process of like pitching to writing the book to now we're getting to publishing day? I know you're touring around related to the book like how much and how long is all of that it's no joke like years long which is uh you know longer than nine months um no shade but oh my I, god yes to a, to a podcast <laughs> full of women and yeah. mothers uh, 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 really shit on the mothers. process i know the real struggle of creating <laughs> life um but well some of the pieces i i wrote uh started drafts of like years ago and they say your first book you've written you've been writing your whole life is sort of a uh, uh like piece of wisdom they say who says that but <laughs> they the, yeah, okay, okay. the, they the they. That. yes so but it was really a pandemic uh sort of trigger i was like oh my god i have too much time with all the demons in my mind what do i do and that's when i started to be like oh maybe i could piece together some things and I wrote a piece so my mom works at Red Lobster and she was getting pushed back to go back to work and wanted to go back to work in like May of 2020 and so I wrote a piece that was like please don't do that and that wound up in the New Yorker and that kind of began the the ripple effect of like oh piece together your life tell your story you've got funny things to say and so I crafted it over the course of a year year and a half and then from when you turn it into the publisher to when it gets into people's hands that's a lengthy process too the actual like printing and thing like in my mind i don't know there were going to be like bunches of printers in chronicle's office in san francisco but it's just like an office and then there's like a printer somewhere else and there's a warehouse somewhere else mm. the logistics of books are quite interesting i also feel like your book has a really great cover like what did you have to like did you like tell people what you were thinking did artists come to you what is the what is the cover process yes like? the designer i think on paper you have no control like you think mm -hmm. as an artist or as the author like oh i get to pick my cover it's like no the publisher is gonna decide how to sell your book best and so i have one here this was one of probably so like what is that you want to describe because this oh, is yeah. an audio <laughs> it is a there's a picture of a skull with his hair or with uh, a skull with hair on fire um mm -hmm. and then the is it hot in here is like inside of the the flames which is pretty cool um but some early versions there was like a popsicle with a face that was kind of like melting that a few of my friends liked quite a bit and then one was just awful it was like uh 
a stripper, a gay stripper on a pole. And it was like neon <laughs> lights. Like, is it hot? <laughs> it was very clearly, you know, how sometimes you Pete put Buttigieg. like a bad one in. Not for people <laughs> judge. But this one, for me, it's like, I, I can't believe they got it so right. Like, this is totally what I would want as a cover. And then the publisher was supposed to say like, no, that's too out there. Or that's too like graphic or too bold or too like nihilistic or negative. But they were excited about it and thought it would sort of jump off the shelf too, like catch people's yeah. eye, which for a first time author is really hard and important because literally no one knows who I am. So the more I can catch <laughs> people's eyes. Today. Yeah, not after, not after, after today. today. Not after Betcha Sup. And you know, you're, up. yeah, Betcha Sup puts you on the map. And you know, your publisher knows what social media uh, platforms have known for a long time. Is that negativity, nihilism? That's what gets the clicks. That's what get people in. That's what grabs people. I've been torn on whether to lean into. I don't. Here's one thing. I re, if anyone is an aspiring author or current author, do not read Goodreads. I don't know why I've gone on Goodreads, but people will destroy you for no reason. Or maybe it just wasn't for them. But I've been tempted to share some like negative reviews, which are just like, I didn't laugh once. I didn't laugh once. Well, in this whole thing. I, I don't know, even get why this is trying to be funny and i'm like that's kind of funny to me that you, you suffered for <laughs> however many hours reading this thing just move on move on if you didn't like it yeah and it gets to like the process of making a book the process you know as a creative too it's like the process of creating a book the process of making a tv show the process of pitching it like it's years and years and years and like I'm not someone, I think like social media is great because it really democratizes opinions and stuff like that. And no one's opinion should be more valuable or anything. And I think crit critiquing is its own job, but I do feel com conflicted as a creator at knowing how long it takes to make anything. People are just so quick to complain about something. And, you know, I just, you know, it just, it, it, it's something I wonder how, how you feel, Zach, and, and even Elise of like, how quickly people are able to tear something down to like shit on something without creating anything of their own. It's like, why don't you create it first and then come back and tell me how you, how like you would make it funny or something. I don't know. That's just uh, something I was thinking of. Even today, like I was on Instagram and this guy was like, Bleh. in in California, all the comedy shows have all white guys. And in New York, all the comedy shows, no one's native. And I'm just like, they were just complaining. It's just like, well, make your own comedy show. And then, come, you know what I mean? I mean, those are legit com complaints, but do it yourself and then come back. I remember something a professor in college said stuck with me, which like he was a it was a movie arts criticism class. And he said, no one sets out to make a bad movie. Mm. And sort of just remembering that, like these big creative projects do take a lot of energy and effort. But also the weird thing about social media is like, in the past, maybe you like told a couple friends like, hey, I didn't care for this or like, oh, my God, I love this. Now that one joke or tweet could be seen by millions of people. And suddenly you're like shitting on something at a scale you maybe you didn't plan for. Or it's like fun yeah. to shit on things. And don't get me wrong. I love shit talking, but it's more fun. <laughs> <laughs> it's trickier as a creative when you're like, oh, wait, I actually know how hard this was to make. And so just being like, fuck you, this network. Why did you make that? Or this wasn't this joke particular joke wasn't funny yeah I it is like it's interesting on social media in particular because I've definitely had situations where like I've said something kind of spicy and like my tweets normally get truly like I'll be an under five liker like it's not I'm not popping stay off there. regularly stay there it is where you want to stay and then <laughs> every once in a while you'll say something spicy that you like throw off that I wasn't even thinking about that I was thinking was going to get seen by the usual whatever couple of people and because it was spicy the algorithm knows and it like sends it to all these people and then people are mad and everyone's yelling at me about weddings so <laughs> back to your book <laughs> what did you say against weddings what do you I, have against no at least it's very pro-wedding let's bring let's pro wedding. she's very pro-wedding but i'm very pro-wedding <laughs> but i i said there was like a debate going on about child-free weddings and I just like threw out a tweet about it because this per I guess one person basically said like it's so rude to have a child-free wedding it's horrible and then I just like wrote another tweet that was like I just saw someone say it's rude to have a child-free wedding but 
like, I don't want your brats at my open bar. Like, stay, keep them at home. I had a child-free wedding, which worked for me and my husband, thinking absolutely not going to be seen by anyone. Leave my computer, come back. We're in the hundred thousands. It's crazy. People are oh, accusing no. me of murder. They, so, they told me that the reason children are murdered in the world <laughs> is because, because, no of one my, likes them? because because of my attitude towards children and that like our society is crumbling because we don't want children around. Um, I was contacted by journalists who were like, oh we're God. writing about the controversy. I It was like the worst day of my life. It was so crazy. Not journalists. And people were like, <laughs> yeah, I mean, journalists loosely, but like, yeah, I ended up deleting all of it. But if you Google my name, one of the things that comes up, it will, it'll be like Elise Morales, age, comedy, wedding. It's one of the top three things that comes out because Anti-child. I tweeted that I, yeah, ch- child think- murderer, Elise Morales. <laughs> it was crazy. It was really you crazy. You have kids at a way. You just put them in like a put them in like a bin together. Get an animal. Get a petting zoo and just stick the kids in the petting zoo. Man, fend for themselves. I went to a wedding that had kids in it, and it really did ruin the vibe. Like, it the kids took over the dance floor. They kept oh, no. requesting happy. Like nobody was like <laughs> mingling or whatever because there were so many kids or I'm I don't know. Millie, that attitude is what gets kids killed. <laughs> well, yes, I love how we how Zach and us like really lean into hating on mothers. And <laughs> on children, children. Um no. One final thing I will say on it is I think that everyone should either have or not have kids at their wedding to their own desires. Zach, about your book. <laughs> Speaking of ha- hating mothers, no. So um, your book starts out with a story about going home for Thanksgiving with, you know, your mom, your dad, other conservative family members. I know in the book, this is the first time you had gone home to see them a lot of times. And one of the themes that kind of comes up again and again, harkening back to the Red Lobster story is, you know, clashes that you had with family members about your new religious and political beliefs that had evolved since when you lived with them. We talk a lot here about how to parlay with family members who are maybe conservative, Fox News poisoned, or just like don't see eye to eye. How do you decide like when to engage or challenge beliefs on a certain topic versus when to be like, you know what, let's just pass the mashed potatoes? Mm, It's such a big question. And there's not a one size it's all answer. The thing I've been thinking about the most recently is sort of very pick your battles, very being more intentional about the conversation because anything can turn political on a dime just by what you're talking about, uh, where you got coffee for the morning or you're talking about driving somewhere. Like anything has, because we live in a, the personal is political, et cetera, et cetera. So you really have to walk this tightrope of like, oh, are we just having a mother-child conversation? Are we just catching up as like family members and putting some like currency in how much we love each other? Or are we like the full armor of battle? I have all my talking points ready. I'm going to like defeat and annihilate you for the day. And so (laughs) a thing I'm learning is that while yes, it's sort of like fun to debate and engage at the drop of a hat, maybe there's more strength than sort of putting some currency in the the love bucket, making sure mom feels love. Because you can't change someone else. You can love someone and give them the space for them to change. Or you can make it clear the ways you've changed. But I don't think what I'm learning is sort of like forcing them to change in a variety of ways is so, is is maybe a waste of my energy or sort of, uh, not a waste, but Man, this gets to the core of like so much. Uh, Yeah. Well, that's what's so great about the book, too, is because I think, again, like online conversations are so black and white sometimes. Like, I feel like every holiday you just see it's like ruin Thanksgiving, destroy your dad. And I'm like, (laughs) and what I love about your book is you talk about, you know, loving your family, loving your parents, pushing back on things that you don't think are right, but also finding a way to still have a relationship that is love-based with them. Have you found you've been able to move the needle on any 
social political issues or is it just really a matter of being like, I'm going to challenge you. I'm going to say what I think. I know you're not going to change, but I am going to at least make sure you know the argument that I'm making. I find sometimes it's a matter of reminding them when they say something that that's like not the party line. So like Red Lobster recently, I guess, started forcing servers to tip pool more. It was something like used yeah, to be like I saw that. Yeah. You used to give like a percentage of your tips to the server or the or the bartender and the bus person. But now it's like 6% or something. And so my mom was like, this is not okay. And I was sort of listening to her like, oh, so maybe, you know, uh, an unregulated capitalist system where you're not earning a, a fair minimum wage might not be ideal for you. So it's sort of these little nudges of kind of nurturing their own revolutionary spirit. Because my theory is like, our bodies know right and wrong and are full of love and sort of your brain gets brainwashed into talking points or sort of seeing the world a certain way. So that's, I think for my mom, like her love of me has led to her evolution on some issues. Like, yes, she'll recite a Fox News talking point or a QAnon talking point. But if I'm like in her presence, she's gonna love me. And like, so no matter what I become in terms of my own identity, like she's gonna learn to bite her tongue so she gets to spend time with her kid. Yeah. And I think that's uh, such an in interesting point too, on the other hand of like having compassion for your parents, because just as you're like bracing and stuff, they are feeling just as nervous and just as like, like where did my son or my daughter go? Like this person that I raised is slipping away from me. Hey, American Fever Dream listeners, I'm here to tell you that there is no reason to panic the next time you're searching for the perfect gift. Now you can use Gift Mode on Etsy. Gift Mode on Etsy is here to take the stress out of gifting so you can find the perfect item for anyone and any occasion. It's easy. Just tap or click Gift Mode on your Etsy app or Etsy.com. Then answer a few short questions about who you're shopping for and what they like, and Gift Mode instantly gives you curated gift ideas based on hundreds of personas. Now it's simple to find gifts made by independent sellers for all the people in your life. Whether you need a Mother's Day gift for the quilter or a birthday present for the vintage hunter, there is something for everyone on Etsy. Some of the things I like to buy on Etsy have little dachshunds on them or are four dachshunds. Dottie's got a whole litany of new sweaters and harnesses and all kinds of fun stuff that we get lots of compliments on when we're out on walks. A gifting moment is always just around the corner, whether it's a birthday, an anniversary, a holiday, or even just a day to say thank you. Gift Mode on Etsy has you covered. Need to find the perfect gift? Don't panic. Try Gift Mode on Etsy now. I wanted to get into my question, and I don't know, the this was one of my favorite parts of the book, and I just want to read a little piece because oh. I thought it was so good and effective, and I hope I'm not like going to kill, like get you killed Wait, from your publishing I think this company. is a milestone for me the first time like someone else has read it back. <laughs> I'm so excited slash nervous. Uh, yeah, it's just a big page that says, I'm a whore. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <it's just> nice. <laughs> Picture of a stripper dancing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, but um, this really resonated with me, and I do have a question about it. I'm just not going to read it to you. But I just wanted to read this because it really hit me. My therapist calls it the old place, where we go when our old familiar ways of thinking take over. Over the years, I've learned to describe mine, a place of fear, catastrophizing, black and white thinking, hypochondria, obsessive thoughts. I've learned that a childhood afraid of an eternity of damnation built pathways in my mind, a decades-long bedwark for anxiety, fear, and shame. It looks a lot like a schematic for hell. Y'all had a good childhood, my mother is quick to say, as a preamble and postscript to any criticism about my upbringing. From her perspective, we had made it. Our father didn't beat us. We had full bellies, shelter, and new clothes on the first day of school. She and my dad pulled their families out of poverty through marriage, hard work, and clip coupons. Any suggestion that we had suffered is not up for discussion. Yeah, that was something, I mean, that whole section and like the, the to the end, you know, I don't want to like take up too much time, but that really spoke to me as like, as a child of an immigrant, you know, and I, you know, just... And I feel like a lot of uh, a lot of art now, especially art by millennials and Jex and Gen um, Z, is really reconciling the fact of of that really thing that you were able to articulate so well. You know, where it's like 
and I'm filtering it through like your parents being my parents being immigrants, but it's like they made this ultimate sacrifice to give us a better life and to move here. So we're not allowed to question anything or or or, or lament or or talk about maybe some things that were challenging in our childhood. And I also thought, in a broader sense, which is kind of what a big part of your book is about, is about like the relationship, like the generational relationship with boomers and millennials, you know, and, and Gen Z and whatever parents is like. Um, you know, the, I think a big part of growing up and especially being in therapy is that we take everything that our parents say as truth and as like, this is what's real and what's not. And then learning later down the line that their behaviors and their truth, quote unquote, is really quirks that they've done to like really uh, cope with mental health issues <laughs> and stuff like that. So um, I just... I wanted to ask you, you know, why why did you feel it was important to include that in your book? And then also, what has your parents' reaction been to, like, kind of describing that <laughs> to a you know? It's so, it, it means a lot to hear that that resonated with you. Because okay. part of writing this feels very like, oh, the, it's just because I have these hyper-conservative parents that they're not willing to be like, hey, you hurt me when you did X, Y, Z. Okay, we're not discussing this. But to hear that sort of other people and these themes are universal, like parent and child and kind of like figuring out who you are and feeling for parents who are like, wait, I was like feeding this little cute little infant. And now it's like talking back to me or now it's telling (laughs) me I did something wrong Mm -hmm. because we I mean, the kid doesn't always have all the context nor Mm -hmm. and the parent is learning to let go. Like it's a very it's so universal. I imagine even back in like cave people times like maybe the kid or actually maybe that's not true maybe as our species is evolving we're demanding more awareness from our parents because we're not like fighting wolves or lions or serpents i would like to see a uh, ladybird in a cave <laughs> like the caveman <laughs> ladybird <laughs> Ma, that movie got i sobbed after that movie it, i yeah. really from a class standpoint, it really felt super, super seen um, this this idea of like, and and you mentioned sort of, or I mentioned and you read sort of pulling out of poverty. I do think there's like a class element to all this. Like if your parents had the leisure to have time for therapy and all needs are met and sort mm-hmm. of they got to, I've watched some like compassionate parenting on TikTok where you're talking to like a two-year-old about like, explain why you wanted to like pull the chair across the carpet and the kids like analyzing their emotions. Meanwhile, I'm like, Oh, my mom would have yelled at me or my mom would have been like on her way out the house. Like, don't do that. Um, So it's kind of (laughs) incredible. Basically in a capitalist system, if all of our needs were met, our parents could be perfect, but all of our needs weren't met. And uh, we're all flawed, beautiful creatures. And I forgot the last part of your question. Oh, yeah. What is your parents? No, I just want to know what your parents reaction to this. I sent an early copy to my mother. And as of yesterday, she's on uh, chapter four, she said. She said she will finish it. Um, But I've been, I think I would prefer them not to read it. That's what I was just about to ask. I was like, do you want her to finish it? (laughs) I know. I'm like, you don't you have a threesome in one of your... Yeah, yeah, the bathhouse section. Yeah, maybe she, maybe she mom needs to read that. One. Yeah, maybe I should have picked out certain uh, essays for her. But what is what has been interesting about our relationship is she loves the spotlight and she loves sort of the attention. And so I found an early essay I wrote years ago was titled like "I Love My Homophobic Mom," the same way like moms will carry signs like "I love my gay son" at the pride parade. <laughs> And she saw that and was like, I'm not homophobic. And so we got on the phone and I kind of read the definition of homophobic. Like <laughs> for me, for me, the the art, my part of my art practice does fold her in. And when she like there's something cool because we're both kind of performers. She's a server performing to her table. And we're more like in front of an audience. We're kind of the best versions of ourselves and we maybe get along the best. So maybe we need, but this is also like a, I win. 
Like I get to tell my side of the story. I get to say what I felt in these situations, but I hope that I'm fair. Like, I don't think anything in here is like a hit job and I'm not trying to cause harm, but I could see them being hurt by things. And so I've tried my best to manage like chats with dad and chats with mom. Dad definitely doesn't like the spotlight as much. So that's a little (laughs) bit more of a concern. Yeah, I guess what I what I did pull, and I'm I'm sure at least pulled it, and that's why it resonated, is that it's just clear that you really do love your parents for all their flaws and all this stuff. And it's not like I mean, you're saying Lady Bird made you sob. For me, it was really uncomfortable because I'm like, this girl's so mean to her fucking mom. And it's like, you know, it's like you're over your friends. The whole moment it made me turn inward because it was like it's like you're at your friend's house and she's yelling at her mom and her mom slapped her, which is something that happened to me. Like I went over to my friends and like, it's just so uncomfortable. And I'm like, I don't like watching people be, or reading or engaging with people. Or, and I know that that's a natural thing. And I've been mean to my mom and all that stuff like before, but that's what I really enjoy about your book is that you are fair. There's love there, but you know, uh, you're honest and yeah, that's what, Yeah, I think I I agree with Millie. I feel like the picture you paint of your mom is like really like I came away liking her, you know, and like thinking like I was like, yeah, she like I could the image you paint of her, especially when you're talking about her as a server and like how she has loved that position and like the type of like server that she is that she loves babies and she was sad that she couldn't touch the babies anymore. I was like, oh, this is like I. I like love this exact type of person, like just like a happy Southern lady who's like, what do you need? Like it very, I I felt like she came off very like lovable and sweet. Um, Well, the salad thing, I was like, she's setting up for failure when she told you to dress the salad. When she, I'm like, (laughs) she knows what she's doing. We're not eating salad at Thanksgiving. You won with the book, but she got you on the salad. Yeah, that's true. Listeners will have to get the book to know what we mean. Ooh, they're like, what are they saying? Oh my goodness. What do they mean about the salad? We all dread the what should we have for dinner question. I mean, I know I do. I love a home-cooked meal, but I don't always have the time, energy, or groceries to make it happen. Being able to feast on a delicious meal without the long prep and cook times is what drew me to Home Chef over the other guys. Home Chef's meals are effortless, so I can spend less time trying to be Top Chef and more time watching it. Home Chef provides fresh ingredients and chef-designed recipes conveniently delivered to your doorstep to simplify your cooking experience. Whether you prefer classic meal kits with pre-portioned ingredients and easy instructions, speedy recipes ready in less than 30 minutes, oven-ready kits with pre-chopped ingredients, or quick microwave meals that assemble in minutes, Home Chef has you covered for delicious meals without the hassle. Home Chef has over 30 options a week and serves a variety of dietary needs, so you never have to worry about what to make ahead of time. Not only is it convenient, but it's economical too. Home Chef customers save an average of $86 per month on groceries. For a limited time, Home Chef is offering our listeners 18 free meals plus free dessert for life and of course, free shipping on your first box. Just go to homechef.com slash fever dream. That's homechef.com slash fever dream for 18 free meals and free dessert for life. You heard that right. Homechef.com slash fever dream must be an active subscriber to receive free dessert. I'm going to shift gears to a more serious topic briefly. Your book also includes a very moving section about a high school friend who you lost in Virginia Tech. Obviously, we're sitting here today in the wake of another school shooting tragedy. As someone who has personally been touched by one of these events, how do you handle this news cycle when it comes up again and again and again? And how did that loss factor into your journey that you discuss in the book from kind of conservative Christian kid to now? It's a Huge question and a and a heavy topic. My sister teaches in a school and she was like texting all day yesterday, like, have you guys watched the footage, et cetera, et cetera. And I just know for myself as like a boundary, I was like, unfortunately, I can't engage with this like cycle today. Um, and I think for a lot of people, unfortunately, that yeah, we've been numbed to it. It's just part of this like never ending cycle that feels like there's no chance for change. Um, th- there still is, or I hope I have to believe there is a level of, of hope or things can happen. I remember looking back uh, when Parkland happened and looking how those like 18 year olds responded. And I'm so like jealous and in awe of the activism they did. Like all I did was like 
cry that I lost my friend and like figure out who I was. Um, but they were like in the trenches, like fighting, marching on Washington. Um, and I think what what really what people need to be reminded of is it's not just the number of lives that are lost that day. Like it affects the ripple effects of this, or I think it's a like a, maybe a Jewish phrase where you like, you're killing millions when you kill one because you're killing their entire like generation. I maybe got it wrong. Um, but like communities are, are fucked up. Like the city names get associated with awful things now. Like a, literally a school named Virginia Tech exists and is like, a beacon of knowledge but when you hear it now you think of uh a, a man who killed 32 people and himself um yeah i well i i grew up in virginia too uh with so you know it's interesting to me like when we talk about the movement that we see now and like how those these teenagers have been spurred to action i think then it didn't feel it did feel like this one wild thing that happened it didn't feel like it was part of this larger issue Mm. of gun violence and gun safety in our schools like I I think we were still in kind of a phase of not knowing what to do like I remember my high school a lot of kids from my high school went to tech and like people had siblings at tech and like it was just it was there was like a lot of overlap between my high school and tech. So the school wanted to let us out that day, but they didn't want to tell us why. And no one had smartphones yet. So they told us in the middle of the day that they were releasing us for wind. <laughs> they wow. were like, it's for wind. It's too windy. We, we release you to the wind. Truly, they were like, we're sending you home because of the wind. And we were like, what? Okay. And then we all got home and found out what had actually happened. Wait, that's insane. Or I feel like that's, <laughs> I that's so it's funny. It's really crazy. It's what did such they do weird... on 9-11? Did they set, release you? It for... was raining that day. It was raining that day. <laughs> it was so weird. And it feels like such a product of that time. Number one, because now kids have cell phones. So like you're not going to be able to lie to them about what's going on. And number two, it's just weird to think that a school wouldn't have protocol for like telling kids about this kind of a tragedy. But they well, didn't. They well, yeah, now um, now, now the they kids do. hear a car backfire and they think like, OK, it's a shooting like I, that's what's the whole country is traumatized from these yeah. experiences, not uh, just the place. Yeah, no, I mean, literally last year, like a year ago, I was in an airport in Cancun on my way home and a sign fell and everyone ran for their lives and I had to hit it, mm-hmm. hide in a closet for two hours. And one of the one like people were freaking out and one of. This 12, 13-year-old girl was like, oh, we do this all the time. It's like locked down. You know, it's like so dark, you know? So, and and again, it, it is a country of traumatized people, you know? Um, it's, it's very messed up. But I, I'd like to think that <clears throat> at least public attitudes have changed. And the more that this happens, which it shouldn't happen at all. This is all like ridiculous and that it's gotten this far, but I like to think that the more public attitudes, you know, the more this happens, the more public attitudes change where it's like, do we need guns at all? You know, it's like my, you know what I mean? Cause it's before it's like AR 15s, you know, but now it's like, we should have, I'm like, and I know a lot of people are just like, fuck guns. Like we don't need them in our society day to day and, and all of that. So I want to shift gears a little (laughs) 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 and guns. Okay. (laughs) Zach, I know we've talked about this, you know, I, um, I think some people know that I grew up Buddhist, um, Mm. and I grew up Japanese Buddhist specifically. And, um, just to like educate people, there are many different types of Buddhism, just like there are many different types of Christianities and Catholicisms and all that. Um, But something that struck me in your book is that you studied abroad in a monastery and also that you studied religion in general, too, you know, and um, I'm curious, you know, as a comedian, um, me personally, you know, I'm curious about your study abroad, like, and the lessons that you've gotten and how like this strict, you know, you went from strict Christianity to strict Buddhism. And that's fascinating to me, but kind of an overall thing that is curious is like, 
I personally, I don't think any of us on this, you know, me, Elise, or I think actually, no, I'm going to take that back. Zach, I know you studied theater in uh, university, but like I didn't necessarily study theater or comedy or anything in college. I know Elise did like political science. So And Spanish, which and I don't Spanish. speak. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, I studied Japanese. I'm sorry, I studied, I studied, um, you know, sociology and Japanese. But um, I'm curious. You you studied religion, uh, you know, at an Ivy. Cough cough. And um, I'm wondering, like, how your overall religious studies help you in your in your job in comedy today, and also like, how has that helped you shape the world and shape the news that you consume? So That's I asked you like question. eight questions, but I know. Let me know if, make sure I'll try to hit them all. Answer I, them all. <laughs> <laughs> I look back and there is a world where I'm like a religion professor right now. Like mm. I loved the academic study of religion in college. I was drawn to it from like I saw the world as this certain Christian worldview for the first 18 years of my life. And then to get to college and be like, oh, wait, other people believe other things. And after my friend died, I was like, OK, there is no God. Let me start to explore what other belief systems have developed around the world. And so that's what I got drawn to Buddhism. My senior thesis was about like Americans who've converted to Buddhism, how they raise their children. Like I was really interested in how like a parent can start their child on a religious journey and not traumatize them. Um, and so I uh, the idea of my art practice and religion, I feel, or wait, what am I saying? I would identify as an atheist for a very long time. In recent years, I've started to be like, whatever gets you through the day. Like, I'm less like, mm -hmm. I want you to be an atheist. And I'm like, I want you to know I care about you as a human and you're like worthy of love and you uh, can have whatever belief system like sort of doesn't infringe on other people. My new thing is I'm, I have a new pitch for the afterlife. Mm. I think the afterlife should be one person is God, but we don't know who. So you wind up in heaven and it's like, okay, Millie's God. Okay. I'm glad I was nice to Millie on earth. Millie gets well, to pick what happens to everybody. I think that's a big uh, component of Buddhism is that like everyone, every human being is life is so precious and valuable. And they could, you know, like that idea of like, everyone is God inside, you know, is like, yeah, like how we treat people and how we treat, you know, other groups of people and stuff like that. I mean, I think that is a very Buddhist philosophy. And so today how do you I don't... treat hecklers? <laughs> <laughs> like, I goals. see God in you. <laughs> I see God. <laughs> I have. I don't know if I've done this or just thought about doing it. But once when someone heckling, I do want to turn to them like, I'm sorry you're suffering. I'm, I know you're in pain. I know you want more from this. But <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you're joking, but that is so real. You cannot be a happy person and a heckler. Like you oh, just yeah. can't. There's yeah. no way. There's I no can way. usually, the, the worst heckler I had, it was semi-recently, it was in Seattle. And it wasn't that she interrupted the show. It was that Oh my God, show, this is crazy. Yes. After the show, I'm in Seattle. A friend's mom comes to the show and brought me these little chocolates, Franz chocolates, which are so like decadent and fancy. And then Only after special the show, in Seattle too, right? Yeah. Yeah. You can order them. They sent me some after they heard what this woman did. She opens my chocolates. I don't notice her doing this. She takes them all out, all 10, eats two of them. She's like rifled through my bag. She's so, I guess, drunk or entitled or some combination of the both that she eats all my chocolates. And I'm not like an angry person, but I felt like so violated. I felt Wait, so like- Wait, she went like, in your bag and ate your chocolates? Yes, yes. I was like talking to someone else after the show. I should have protected my bag, but- I was <laughs> at least Zach headlined a venue in Seattle and he was talking to people after the show. And this woman goes through his bag, this drunk lady and eats his fucking chocolates, these special chocolates that you can only get in Seattle that a friend's mom got. Him. That's Isn't like that worse nuts? than a public heckle. That's like a personal and private attack on you. Yes. <laughs> right. <Your chocolates. laughs> and they weren't crazy. cheap chocolates. They were like That's $30 crazy. chocolates. I feel like you could go to Judge Judy for that. Like, honestly, <laughs> honestly, small claims, Casa the Sonata. smallest claims court. I did reach out to her, Jerry in Seattle, um, because since I organized the event, I could like reach out to all attendees and I sort of let her know like, hey, you disrupted the show and I want to give you a chance to make up the fact that you ate my chocolates and I haven't heard from Jerry. 
Wow. Terrible, terrible human being. But in Buddhist, we have to see she is. I mean, I'm very empathetic, though, Mm -hmm. because I'm like, she's a god. She like and who (laughs) hasn't when they're drunk craved food. Like, I don't think she was like maliciously like, yeah, I know. So that's what's hard. That's what's hard. Seeing both sides of something. It is. It is. Today's episode of American Fever Dream is brought to you by Newly. Have you ever felt that fast fashion ick, but can't always afford the super high-end stuff? I have a solution for you. It's Newly. Newly has everything you need to bring your closet up to speed for the season without breaking the bank. Free your closet of impulse purchases and skip the buyer's remorse by renting instead. Newly is a subscription rental service, and for just $98 a month, you get your choice of any six styles. They also have inclusive sizing, up to 5X, as well as petite and maternity. You get fast, free shipping and returns and professional cleaning and newly state-of-the-art laundering facility. No laundry for you to worry about. This is the best. You just put it back in your box, send it out, and before you know it, you've got your next one. And you always have the option to buy what you love for sometimes up to 75% off. I bought the Rachel Antonoff pasta puffer from them. I was obsessed with it, like everybody who tries it is, and it was completely sold out everywhere else. So I felt like I really, really had an in there. So thank you, Newly. Newly is an amazing value at $98 a month for any six styles. And right now you can get $20 off your first month of Newly when you sign up with the code FeverDream20. Just go to N-U-U-L-Y.com. That's newly with two U's and enter the code FeverDream20 and sign up to get $20 off your first month. That's N-U-U-L-Y dot com, newly with two U's with code FeverDream20. Newly subscription clothing rental, change your clothes. Our next segment is Republican You Not, you know, so it's the segment where we talk about shit Republicans do. Yesterday, the Senate Committee on Health, Education, Labor, and Pensions held a meeting with the Starbucks CEO, Howard Schultz, over alleged union-busting activity. During the meeting, Senator Mark Wayne Mullen, Republican from Oklahoma, got in a heated exchange with committee chairman Bernie Sanders. It's bothering to me because, Mr. Chairman, you yourself have been very successful. Your wife has have, have immersed a, a wealth of over $8 million. If you can be a millionaire, why can't Mr. Schultz and other CEOs be millionaires and be honest too? Why is it that he's corrupt and you're not? Well, let me respond. The senator did mention my name, I think. And I think you got an all-time record here. You've made more misstatements in a shorter period of time than I have ever heard. Please correct well, me. Well, if I'm worth $8 million, public. excuse me. It's all public. Excuse me. Yeah, go ahead. All right. Excuse me. Yes, sir. If I'm worth $8 million, that's good news to me. I'm not aware of it. That's a lie. All right. Number two. Part of public records. That's, you're probably looking at some phony right-wing internet stuff. It ain't true. <laughs> Well, you made it 1. is not 7 million on your public book. record. You made All right, 1. it 7 is. On your excuse book. me, I've got the mic down. I love it. Republican, you not lie about how much money Bernie Sanders is making. What do y'all think about this? I mean, I think nobody lands a joke in a hearing like Bernie. I feel like he got major laughs across the board. Major laughs. And and those laughs are coming from the Starbucks union members who were there to watch the, the, the hearing. Um, something that I noticed in this back and forth and in um, Mark, Mark Wayne Mullen's praise. Mark Wayne Mullen is obsessed with the Starbucks CEO. He, if he could marry him, if he wasn't against gay marriage, he would go down to (laughs) courthouse himself. If he wasn't trying to not codify gay marriage in the Supreme court, he would go down and marry every fucking CEO. He could, he wants to know why Bernie Sanders hates million millionaires because he's a millionaire. Um, what I found was interesting is that he kept saying millionaire when the problem and the reality is that Howard Schultz is a billionaire. He has like several billion, you know, and, you know, I think because they end with an air, people think it's really similar. <laughs> but millionaire and billionaire, there's a big fucking difference. There's a huge. big difference. Yeah, huge. And yeah, like, why do you think... Mullins was saying millionaire and like what what do you think was the purpose of his 
convolating those two things. And we need millionaires to speak out against millionaires and billionaires too. Like the people in power and with tons of wealth need to be like, hey, tax me more. Like, hey, we need to build like a, a, a social safety net that is going to protect people. Or like, yes, I've exploited people to get to this wealth. You, every, every million dollars is exploitative. Um, also, Bernie is priceless. Bernie's not yeah. worth a million. He's worth, he's, <laughs> he's like a MasterCard priceless ad. <laughs> it's also like, okay, so I was trying to Google around to find his actual net worth, whatever. It was kind of hard to find. It seems like maybe he's worth $3 million. That's really not that much for like a very old man who's like written like books and done speaking tours and run for president. And it's nothing compared to what Howard Schultz has amassed in his lifetime. And it's also not related to union busting practices by Starbucks, which is what Bernie kind of says after he's like, yeah, this hearing isn't about whether or not millionaires should exist. It's Mm. about if Starbucks engaged in illegal union busting practices. And they fucking did like hundreds of times a year. Also, sometimes it's like someone's worth $8 million. It's like, yeah, if they sold their houses and their cars and cashed in all their savings and retirement, they would come up to $8 billion. Like who actually, you know what I mean? That capital yeah. isn't something that's liquid. And yeah, like the hearing, like you said, Mullins, something that Mullins also said, which is the Republican you not, is that, um, you know, he's like, Howard Schultz is doing the American dream. Like, why are we like, isn't he supposed to do that? Like he's creating jobs. Your book isn't creating anyone's like any jobs. Like, why are you giving him a hard time? Uh, Why didn't your book create any jobs, Zach? (laughs) (laughs) You're you're in the hot seat. (laughs) What jobs have you created? (laughs) You're right. Thousand heirs should not exist. I'm very sorry. (laughs) Thousand heirs. On behalf of all thousand heirs. Thousand heirs. And this goes into the Are Men Okay? During the hearing, Schultz also said that he grew up in subsidized housing and earned being a billionaire. Because he's, and he said that because Starbucks has health benefits, stock options, and 17, and pays $17.50 an hour wages, the company doesn't need a union. Then Howard Schultz, which this is the Armeno K part to me, is that Howard Schultz was really hurt. He was like, why is it bad that I'm being a million, uh, that I'm a billionaire? Why is everyone so mean to me? I earned this. Why, why, why is Bernie Sanders doing this thing? Why can't I defend myself? Everyone's so mean to billionaires. Um, and this is the part where I'm like, are men okay? And the answer is no. Uh, the record from 2013, which is 10 years ago, I saw records saying that the uh, st- uh, the Starbucks CEO made $9,200 an hour. That has to have tripled or, du- you know what I mean? And right now, um, the debate is, or not debate, the hearing was about union busting. And literally, it's down to if people unionize their Starbucks, they're not able to access tips on credit card. Because and and Howard Schultz says, oh well, that's because they're in under negotiation. And then when they're like, you don't sh- the the Starbucks team doesn't show up to, for a negotiation. They're like, well, we only do it on uh, we don't like to do it on Zoom. We only want to do it on person. So I don't think men are okay. What do you think, Zach? As the man here, as someone who's created many unions with Starbucks baristas, I do have to. <laughs> <laughs> applaud the the union activity the idea of um howard schultz's like origin story i feel like that's so very true when people have this like underdog story and how they identify and from like a class upbringing like but what happens when you become the one in power like some people are very attached to like oh i grew up this way and that way like i'm not powerful today or i deserve sort of this level of power and that can also be that can sometimes be more dangerous than someone who's just like inherited generational wealth and knows sort of how to give and uh, give it away. And so I'm reminded of uh, I think not. I mean, I think uh, Mike White has a similar story, sort of 
coming from nothing and then having a lot and sort of how do we hold the people who now have a lot to some really high standard? I remember. Do you remember the movie? Sorry to bother you. Boots Riley. Did y'all watch that? I didn't see the movie, but I know it was like a thing. Oh, okay. yes, I it's love that movie. I love that movie. It basically asks the same question, like when you're the uh, when you get access to the power and fortune and fame, uh, what are you going to do with it? Are you going to forget the people you've left behind and like mistreat them? Or do you bring them with you? Or do you blow it up from from when you get access to these like ivory towers of power and wealth? Well, the also the thing, too, is that he's, you know, Howard Schultz and many people in of his ilk say, like, I earned it. I started from nothing. I had subsidized housing. That's not nothing, babe. That's not nothing. That is our tax dollars. And just like our tax dollars subsidize your employees, make sure your employees go to a free public school. Make sure your employees get to work on public transportation and on roads that are paved and have access to this and that, whatever. Um, And something that really strikes me is that Starbucks, by nature of a Starbucks, they don't just put Starbucks locations anywhere. They put Starbucks locations, they tend to be in very busy metropolitan places, very nice neighborhoods. And I'm just thinking like, none of the, what are the, where are their employees supposed to live? They're supposed to live two hours outside of, you know, commute an hour, two hours or 30 minutes or get on public transportation to get to work to make coffee for, you know what I mean? Like, it's just, it's just crazy. I think about this too with, um, I, you know, with, when Howard Schultz is speaking, I'm like, okay, Howard Schultz, why don't you live off $17 an hour in a major city and work the shifts that you want people to work and then come back to us and tell us if Undercover you Boss, the- Howard Schultz Undercover- edition. Yes. I want to see absolutely. it. Absolutely. As it I also- sip my Duncan, I want to see it. <laughs> It also reminds me to bring it back to the book and wrap up our time with you. Um, I would say that in reading your book, I think that you established uh, a book enemy. And that book enemy is J.D. Vance's Hillbilly Elegy, which you 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 come for multiple times in your own book. Twice. (laughs) Twice. That's and, a, a good, and a Goodreads, there was a Goodreads review that was something like, uh, like one hillbilly elegy joke is fine. Two is cringe. And I'm like, oh, it's a callback. Everybody, Come on. Yeah, everybody loved that stupid ass <laughs> book when it came out. Yeah, and I do think that it is, it is a very good like book enemy for your book because it's about this guy who kind of grew up in, you know, didn't have a lot of money, conservative Christian home, and now is like, I'm a venture capitalist senator. (laughs) Yeah. And like his politics are, right, you can, yeah, monsters can come from humble upbringings. Like not every monster begins And that's the American dream. That's a good That's the American dream. I hope mine, (laughs) I hope Meryl Streep play, Meryl Streep? Glenn Close. Glenn Close. I hope Glenn Close plays my mother. And well, Glenn Close wants an Emmy. Adams would be your mom. Who? Amy, Amy Adams. Adams would be your mom. Glenn Amy Close Adams. would be your grandma. Oh, <laughs> I would love an a- Amy as my mom. Amy would be a great, a, you're a great mom. They just both want. Let me tell you, they both wanted an Oscar, and no one wins Oscars more than white women in distress. If white women are having a hard time, you're going to get an Oscar. And that's why people were shocked that Tar did not win the Oscar of the <laughs> but <laughs> yeah, but so so if you have white women in distress sag, you will get you will get Amy Adams, you'll get <laughs> And if any close. if any producers are listening, I think that an adaptation of Zach's book with the exact same cast as the Hillbilly Elegy uh. film would really be a beautiful thing. Yeah, that's kind of genius. Yes, right. I think that would be great. After the book comes out, we will have a white woman in distress named my mother once she finishes it. Uh, but <laughs> already skip some chapters. Be compassionate, Zach. <laughs> Zach, why don't you tell our listeners? We'll wrap this up here. Tell our listeners where they can buy the book, when they can buy the book, where they can see you, find you, all of that great stuff. Book is available for pre-order now everywhere that you might get a book, whether an indie bookstore or a giant behemoth uh, retailer online. Um, I'm on Instagram and TikTok at ZZ double ZZ. That's ZZ, the word double, and then ZZ. 
And if you just Google Zack Zimmerman book, uh, it'll come up. It comes out everywhere April 18th, um, but pre-orders are super valuable and helpful. And I'll be on a little tour hitting up some cities, Chicago, LA, San Francisco, Boston, Philly. I'm forgetting one. But you can come see me live and I'll sign your book. And thank you so much for having me. And this don't take anything out of his bag and don't eat his chocolates. <laughs> don't eat his fucking chocolates. Don't eat my chocolates. <laughs> Thanks, Zach. It was so great to have we you. We love you, Zach. Bye. Thank you both. Bye. The Betches Up Podcast is produced by Amanda Duerman, Sean Kilby, Jorge Morales-Pico, and Rebecca Sousmacat. Editing by Rebecca Sousmacat. Social media by Amanda Duberman and Bridget Swartz. Be sure to follow at Betches underscore SUP on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. And send us your emails at SUPPod at Betches.com. Betches.